I just I love beer, man. I don't get me wrong, whiskey's awesome. I enjoy my whiskey, but I love beer. Beer's good. Beer's very good. This feels like the section that I put at the very front of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I like whiskey, but beer. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Whiskey Sessions podcast. This is episode 81, and it is a very special episode because not only is B-Pimp in the house, but we also have Ryan Burkett, drummer extraordinaire. What's up, Ryan? How's it going, everyone? Thanks for having me. This is of awesome. Of course. We, I mean, the reason we had to absolutely have you on this uh, podcast is a couple of episodes ago, if people remember, we did the top uh, both B-Pimp and I did our top five drummers. And then fully realizing my list is ridiculous. B-Pimp did all metal drummers, so who knows if they were even real people. <laughs> and then we decided, you know what? We, we've got to have a real drummer giving their top five drummers. We just didn't know what we were talking about. So to open this episode, uh, we'll talk about, uh, we'll recap what our top five drummers are. And then Ryan, you can give us your top five drummers, which I'm sure is a much more definitive list of what we're talking about. But gentlemen, what are you drinking for beer uh, before we get into the drummers? We got some Everyday Hero from Revolution. So it's like their session IPA. Mm. Low alcohol IPA. It's good. Good beer. It's quite delicious. We're doing very local brews. I'm having the uh, Fort Point, which is right from San Francisco, and the Citra Park. Next time you're here, I highly recommend that you try this. What style is it? It's a pale ale, nice single hop, important to note. Uh, but yeah, it's smooth. It's a, it like, I mean, it's not an IPA, but it kind of has like some session IPA feel to it. And then just the tiniest bit of citrus. That's good. That's a good mix. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's cover our drummers. We'll get to the whiskeys. And then we have a brand new top five list of worst organizations in the NBA. And my list came together so fast. I don't even know where to start. Um, but let's talk about drummers. So my top five drummers from a few episodes ago uh, were Trey Cool from Green Day, Sheila E., Jason Finn from the Presidents of the United States of America, Dave Grohl, and Questlove. So Ryan, when you hear that list first, what are your first thoughts? There's actually a lot of great drummers in there. I'm not going to lie. Uh, a couple of those were actually on my list. I had to you know, add and subtract. It's a tough list to make. Um, but regardless, you know, Dave Grohl, Questlove, honorable mentions online. It's a, it's a very solid list. So the only one I'm not familiar with is the presidents of the United States of America. I actually don't listen to them. Clearly I'm missing out though, if you think he's one of the better drummers. I was going to ask what he thinks about Questlove. I love Questlove. I think his pocket's super tight. Um, he doesn't really do a whole lot of fills. I think one of my favorite recordings of Questlove is when he did the album with um, John Legend in The Roots. I don't remember the name of the album off the top of my head, but top to bottom, that groove is just, it's monstrous. Well, yeah, I think I mentioned it in the episode too, but like if as the drummer, you are the face of a band, you must mm -hmm. be doing something right. Yeah, he does have a lot of swagger. Yeah. The Afro pick in the hair, classy move. It's a trademark. And he's funny. Yeah. No, he is, for sure. All right, B-Pimp, what were your number five? 
Let's see. I got um, some of these I know that you're familiar with, but some I mean I'm you're sure I'm sure you're probably familiar with all of them. But Danny Carey from Tool, of course. Oh yeah, naturally. Um, do you know Gene Hoagland? No, I don't. He he drums with Testament. Oh, I just got into them this past yep. week. And Death, he was the original drummer for Death, which was like the first <laughs> death metal band, literally. That's great. Uh, Brad Wilk from Rage. Awesome. Uh, Dave Lombardo from Slayer. Awesome. And Bill Ward from Black Sabbath. Those are all great drummers. All great drummers. Good list. And that I think that fits your, uh, your musical, uh, what's the word I'm looking My for? Arena. Yes. <laughs> yes. My usual... Uh, <laughs> my taste i don't know yeah i don't know that, that's what i was guilty about it a little bit because i li- i like a lot of other drummers from other but it's mm-hmm. just like my favorite and i think that there's a lot of it's a cool combination of like nuance and some songs mm-hmm. and some of their style and then also like the power and like the like just the endurance it has to take to like it's like running a marathon man. yeah when, when you're playing double bass like that you're running for a long time and you have to run in rhythm with different patterns Man, I, I tried that when I was younger, 16, 17 maybe. And it takes a lot out of you, man. Yeah. I can just imagine by looking at it. It's like, a workout. No doubt. <laughs> just If you're doing the double like kick, are you kind of just going back and forth or do you hit them? Like- well, that's the thing. is it's, It could be different patterns. So it could be right, right, left, left, right, 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 left, left, left. And it's it gets way more complex than that. But even just using your two legs and then you also have to do all these different patterns with your hand. It's tough, man. Some of them are set up to trigger, right? Like where it does, it's like a roll rather than just one hit. Yeah, exactly. And then there's some pedals that also have two or three beaters too. So if I hit this one, it's actually delays it. Oh, uh, okay. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Wow. There's a, yeah. We could, we could almost have like a, I'm very curious about all that. I just watched the videos like sick driver magazine mm-hmm. on YouTube, their channel. They'll just like set up a camera and it'll be like the drummer from Behemoth or something, which is this really crazy Polish band. And the guy's like six five, and he looks like they wear all the corpse paint and everything. And he just sits yeah. up there, and it's just like he's got like this huge kit, and he's got like they're beat, they're fast. They do it the blast beats, but then also it's just some parts of the songs. It's just like these waves where it'll be like like you said, it'll be the patterns off on one side, and then it comes back, and it's like rolling into each other. It's really crazy. It's badass, man. I feel like drumming in general is almost impossible. And for me, I feel like the hardest part about it is the, like the emotion it takes for the kick drum. Mm-hmm. Like I get so sore so fast trying to do that. And I don't seem to like have like the correct rhythm to do it either. It is one of those instruments where you do have to build muscles for it. Um, you know, I have not been playing as much as I should be. And sometimes when I'll, I'll go do a roll, I'll notice that those wrist muscles are not where they used to be. Uh, and that's tough, man. It's a lot of exercise. Yeah. It, do you think they could re- redesign the kick pedal so that you use your heel for it instead of the rest of your foot? Uh, if I could do that, I think I could be better at drums. I mean, we could always just strap your foot in like a Birkenstock onto the pedal. And I guess you could use your heel that way. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah I might do that. It's the, <laughs> it's the, uh, bass drum sandal <laughs> yeah the most complicated song i can drum is tina turner's what's love got to do with it which is real straightforward i'm not even sure the actual song has a real drummer on it common <laughs> misconception though some of the easiest beats are the hardest to play thank you i've been saying that the whole time i'm saying <laughs> i know it's true i'm sure i mean honestly 
Because you get because if it's simple, then any mistake will be glaring, right? All right. And sometimes myself, if I'm in the studio and it's just your simple, you know, two four, they call it the million dollar beat, right? I'll just get in my own head. Yeah. And it's all about holding pocket. I mean, that's that's how you get paid. Absolutely. No. <laughs> Got to hold that pocket. Got to get. Paid. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, you guys, you've definitely heard some of these drummers. Um, obviously. I'm not going to go in order here, but I got to start with my man, Neil Peart. I mean, yeah, you know, rest in peace. One of the greatest drummers of all time. I grew up listening to him. Uh, I had posters hanging in my room and in our drum room at home. You know, I would watch DVDs with my dad all the time. The only guy I've ever seen do a passcode on a bell, stand up and his whole kit turns around and he just continues a solo. Wow. It's amazing. Um, he was very melodic with the way he drums and, uh, he was the lyricist for a lot of Rush songs too. So he's a poet and he's just a really, he was a really down to earth guy, you know, beyond the drums, he would just get on his motorcycle and ride and never really much of a party guy. What is, what specific, you mentioned something there, obviously like the intricacy of doing that mm-hmm. movie mentioned, but what sets him apart? Like as a legend, I've listened to a lot of Rush, but not you know, I don't know it as well. Like, what is what are his things that people just go, oh, he does that better than anybody? Like, it's tough to say. I, I, my personal opinion, I think it's just his fills, okay. uh, his creativity behind the kit. You yeah. Know, a lot of times, bigger kits, people don't know how to use it like Neil Peart. You know, a lot of people are using these smaller kits and, and keep it simple. People who use bigger kits, they just wail on it to make noise. But he was actually melodic with it. You know, you 10, 12 toms and a bunch of cymbals everything had a purpose it wasn't there for show everything had its own tone and for you know rush is a three-person band for them to have that big of a sound it really stems from from being able to expand a little bit on that instrument yeah i always appreciate if a a three-person band can have a really full sound that's Mm -hmm. that's almost like an incredible feat so my next one you've probably heard of him uh he's played with peter gabriel joe cocker paul mccartney uh Art Garfunkel, Clapton, Paul, but his the best song he's ever done, Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover. That's Steve Gadd. He's <sighs> a session extraordinaire. Wow. You did that for Paul Simon? Yeah, he's he's the drummer for Fifty Ways to Make a Record or to Leave Your Lover. I'm sorry. That um, is a great song. It's a badass groove. Uh, he's been a prominent session drummer since I, I want to say 60s, 70s, still is today. I mean, he's he's a leader. For sure. I know that name probably because you mentioned him to me, but I have, like, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to pick out the songs, but I just know, like, he's one of those guys that everybody knows, like, Mm -hmm. as a legend in that. He's more of a session guy, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, he's one of your top calls, no doubt. No, he's, the the drumming on 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover is awesome. And I can't think of, tell me if I'm wrong, but is there a song that has a bigger, like, stark difference between the verse and the chorus? both like tonally and like everything than that song. I, They're like two different songs. Exactly. And the fact that it's like such a huge hit, you know, there's other songs out there that have these orchestral organizations and yeah, it could be one song into the, you know what you're saying, but this for it to be such a major hit and, and that well-known is, it's pretty impressive. Uh, next guy everybody knows him in the entire world super simple great pocket laid the foundation for the for the band he was in um catches way more flack than he ever deserved Uh, so that's what i've been saying (laughs) it's great groove 
And I don't think this band would be as big if they didn't have him. Can you guess who I'm talking about? Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr. Hey. Uh, hey. He was on my honorable mentions. Yeah. Why uh, does he catch flack? Because um, he played a simple kit? Not so. I, I don't know why he catches a lot of flack. I always Maybe hear because that. Because they th- you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney were these epic songwriters and all he did was play drums. So people would just say he was along for the ride. But I don't know, man. I think he made the difference in a lot of a lot of songs. And now more than ever listening back like those are some super solid grooves man come together is a is a neat song Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would argue come together has the most memorable drum beat of any rock song out of the last 60 years Mm -hmm. and you got all these other people playing it as well aerosmith covered it right Mm -hmm. yeah um no i uh absolutely second that i i feel like because of all the hate that Ringo gets, unnecessary hate, that I just put him on my honorable mentions. I should have put him on my list. Uh, I also have John Bonham. I'm not going to introduce him. I'm just going to come out and say it. John Bonham. Uh, touch a swing, insane bass drum technique. His fills would like start off chaotic, and then somehow he would land them every single time. You know, I don't know if that's just cocaine or booze or whatever, but <laughs> the guy was... Cocaine. He would he would start a playing a fill and you're like oh this is gonna fall apart and it just it landed every single time. What's what do you make of the the big story with John Bonham is that when the levee breaks he was in the stairwell is that legit Do you know? As far as I know, yeah. Okay. Do you know that story, Andy, about when the levee breaks? He played the drums in a stairwell to get yeah. like just one mic at the top of the stairwell. Yeah, like wow. a stairwell going down. Like if you think of it, like an outdoor stairwell going down to like a basement entrance to something. Where you I could like, had yeah. heard that before, but I, I didn't know if it was true or not. So I think he's my favorite rock drummer. All right, cool. I think do you so. know? Do you? I what I've heard about Bill Ward from Black Sabbath is that he sw- for a metal drummer he would swing. Like people would say that. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just metal. It's like he could swing. Like do you have you ever heard that about Black Sabbath? Do I have not heard. But opinion? now that I think about it, I could totally hear it. Okay. There's something about like being able to sway back and forth with a rock groove that yeah. not a whole lot of people can do. Bonham was never on top of the beat. He was never, sometimes he'd be in front of it, depending on the song, but the majority of the time he was behind, like just barely behind it. Uh, okay. There's something so I don't know, swaggy about that. Yeah. I got two last ones here, and I, I don't know which one I'm going to do. I'm actually going to build off what you had, Andy. I'm going to go with Dave Grohl. Yes. All right. I think Nirvana's nothing without Dave Grohl. He's got the perfect balance of power and precision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his attenuation's perfect. My favorite album he's ever played on, though, Queens of the Stone Age, Songs for the Deaf. I think that's what Beat Punk was saying. Yeah, man. Uh, he also played with Tenacious T. He did Probot, too. He played all the drums for the Probot record. Yeah. He played guitar, bass, and drums, and then had guest metal singers. Mm-hmm. And that album was just insane. That dude, there's a video, I mentioned it on ours, like the video of them playing Song for the Dead Yeah, at Glastonbury, I think. It's just, he, he's like, he's sitting there. That song is relentless. It's like five minutes of breakneck pace. And it's just so much fun to watch him play. Like, I, the, he's great. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, five. I got, you know, a couple honorable mentions. Carter Mack. He's like a YouTube sensation. Stupid good tone, stupid good pocket. Chris Daddy Dave. Really good jazz drummer, if you ever heard of him. I also had Questlove on my honorable mention. I thought, isn't the guy from um, Dave Matthews Band supposed to be? Carter Buford is a monster. He's supposed to be one, yeah. right? Yeah, he's another one. He's kind of like Neil Pert in the way that he has this massive kit, 
but the way he does his fills, it's like melodic in a sense. Oh, okay. And again, every every little knickknack on his drum set has a purpose. Mm. Again, I don't think Dave Matthews is Dave Matthews without Carter Buford. Yeah. All right, question for you, Ryan. If there was one, something that you don't have on your drum kit currently mm-hmm. that you'd like to have, like even if you wouldn't be able to use it for every song, what's the one thing your drum kit is missing? Honestly, a second snare. I want another yeah, snare on the far left so I can have two different tones because sometimes a, a super flat, rich, dead snare has, has its place, but then you want one that's like super cracky and tingy. You know, yeah. everything calls for a different tone and to be able to, f- to do that live would be awesome. I think Maybe. you just want that same anger. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! thinking? Are we doing top, or I'm sorry, worst five drummers of all time? Because Lars Ulrich. <laughs> He's somebody who gets a lot of flack and nobody really comes to his defense. <laughs> um, I just heard a story real quick, the last, like to put a cap on the drummers, but because it's been so much fun, I can talk about it for four hours. But uh, there's a, there, Fred Armisen was on a podcast I was listening to. He's a really good drummer. I love Fred Armisen. Um, he was saying there's a thing, like, there, there's these people in bands you wouldn't expect that they're known for having a really, I think he said a tight snare. Mm-hmm. Is that the thing? Am I using yeah. that correctly? Yeah. And he mentioned 311's drummer mm-hmm. because they use like, I guess it's a small snare. Yeah. Is that what leads to the sound? Yeah. So it's like a, it's not deep. It's about 13 inches wide. Sometimes they're called piccolos if they're uh, yes. like super small. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and it's like a really high-pitched, tingy... Is that because whack. they had to break through that, like, distortion of every song that 311 has? is like, it's like grindy distortion guitar? It, yeah, it's all about the sonic okay. soundscape. You know, that's why some of... The, a lot of the indie stuff I listen to, they just detune their head in a, in a deep snare and just... Whoop, hmm. You know, you get that deep womp in it. Okay. So every song calls for a different sound. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for giving us uh, your top five. Uh, Ryan, but we have to get to the namesake of the podcast. Gentlemen, mm-hmm. what whiskey are you drinking for this episode? Got some Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Yes. I don't know how we didn't review this. I know we've talked about it before, but we haven't reviewed it. Yeah, it's a famous mention in the Whiskey Recommendations uh, track from the first Whiskey Sessions EP. We were, talk- we were trying to figure out Eagle Rare, which is, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is made no one. We never came up with it. No. We were pretty drunk on that track. <laughs> we were very drunk. Um, probably, yeah, from the Eagle Rare. that We couldn't think of the name of, but they make that. But this is the namesake, Buffalo Trace, the original. So now we got to know if, if the original, does it get on the smooth train or does it get the boot? All right, let's do our little sip. You want to do a concurrent? Yeah. Looks take like you're drinking it neat. Cheers. So it's got the, it's a bourbon, of course. So it's got the, the leads with like caramel and sweetness, but it finishes like punchy in the mm-hmm. back of your throat. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like Buffalo Trace. I, I mean, I've had it a lot, so it's not like it's a brand new thing, but I like to think a little bit when I taste it for these, mm-hmm. um, why I like it. So it's on the smooth train for me, spoiler alert. But um, I just think it's really, I think it's, got its own niche in the bourbon market where there's not another, there's some bourbons. Like if I'm having Jack Daniels, I can go get Jim Beam or I can go get 
you know, there's different variations on the same taste where if I can't find it, I can get another thing. I can't really replicate Buffalo Trace, mm-hmm. I don't think, I, at least ones that I've had. So it's kind of got its own unique taste to me. The, the mix of the sweetness and the spice that comes with it is like unique in their whiskey, in my mm-hmm. opinion. You want to find that whiskey that's going to give you that, like that unique taste that you know that if you are looking for that specifically, then it's the Eagle one. The Eagle one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What did you, what do you think of, you're a fan, obviously, because you have Buffalo Trace, but. Yeah, I've been buying more whiskey than I have recently. Um, what else is over there? Knob Creek uh, and Four Roses. But every time I, th- I think Buffalo Trace wins, man. Uh, it's just, it's a little bit of a smoother finish. Makes me all tingly inside. Yep. Makes me all warm inside. It's not as bitter as Knob Creek, Um the four roses I had, maybe it was just the, because there's a bunch of different ones. I'm not too educated on whiskey, everyone. I'm still learning. This is for me. You mean the different, like four roses different? Yeah, I think the one I had was around the $20 price range, and it, it was a little bit harsh oh, okay. at the front. Yeah, um, I can see that. And for five bucks more, I mean. Mm-hmm. There's like three roses and a thorn. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going Buffalo Trace smooth. Yes. I support that. I mean, I've, I've had all those. I, I don't know specifically which four roses I've had either, but I, I like Buffalo Trace a lot. I mean, it's, so much so that I was just trying to figure out what the name of it was because I remembered that taste. <laughs> yep. It's got its, it's got its own little market, you know? What do you have to drink, Andy? Uh, I have no whiskey for this episode. We're, we're carrying Seth. a whiskey load. Okay. Yeah, you are. I just had the beer. Um, I figure at some point for the rest of the day, I'll probably have to be responsible for my daughter. So, mm-hmm. and it's only noon here. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I usually wait till like 1245 to start. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm glad we have another one for the smooth train. We got to get to our top five list. We are talking about, as I mentioned, toward the top of the episode, our top five worst NBA organizations. I think we were thinking basketball and then all of a sudden, basketball stopped existing, along with pretty much everything else in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was a sudden end to the NBA season, or postponement, whatever it ends up being. But it gave us top to ref- time to reflect what are the worst organizations out there. Of course, you guys live in uh, the surrounding city of one of those that might be on the list. I'm not saying it is on the list, but it could be. Uh, you'd have reason to put it on the list. And um, I'll, I'll, I mean, even with the recent success the Warriors have had, they're the worst NBA team in the league this year. Um, so uh, I, I think we have a lot to cover. But without further ado, let's get into it. These are our top five worst organizations in the NBA. More than four, less than six. It's the top five. All right, B-Pimp, who is your number five? My number five worst organization in the NBA is the Orlando Magic. Ooh, that's a good one. What, what, what is so shitty about the Magic? They just, you know, when you think about teams that have long periods of just not being interesting or relevant, they come to mind. Um, I'm, I kind of question what they're doing a lot of times because they seem to stumble upon, like, a good coach and then – can't get talent there to maximize it. Then they get rid of the coach. Then they'll get some interesting players. And then 
have like Scott Skiles be the coach. Like it just it never matches up. So I, I feel like they're not they're not competent. <laughs> no, and they've had like good players in their history. They've just like rarely been able to capitalize on it. Yeah. Like between Shaq and T Mac and uh Dwight Howard, they only have two trips to the finals, have never won it. Do you guys think Aaron Gordon would be better somewhere else than yeah. with the Magic? I would think so. I, I mean, like the way his career has already plateaued and actually kind of started to decline is it's hard to watch. It seems yeah. like he should be good. Mm-hmm. It was ever since he was in um, that movie. What was that oh, movie? Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew, yeah. Ever yeah, since. I agree. That was kind of the peak. It's like the Madden curse, but it's the Uncle Drew curse. Mm-hmm. Before <laughs> we move on to the next team, do you think he was robbed in the slam dunk competition? I actually don't really think he was robbed. I didn't watch it. I'll be honest. I, from what I heard, I think um, I heard I didn't watch it either. So this is my own opinion based on what I heard. But I heard that he there was a case to be made for either of them, but it wasn't really like that egregious that he didn't win. Is that? Yeah, I, I think either one of them could have won. He was not robbed. People need to get over that. All right. So we've heard it here. That's our official statement on the on the Aaron Gordon controversy. Yeah. All right. I'll go next. So Ryan, you can have the the final number one at the end. Yes. Okay. Uh, my number five is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And the reason I picked this is because without LeBron James, what a garbage fire that team would have always been. Like, they've gotten every opportunity. They've had so many number one picks between LeBron, Kyrie, and then Anthony Bennett. The best of them. Thinking there. And then they got Andrew Wiggins, which they traded into Kevin Love. Like, Without the LeBron James years, they would be so awful. And now they're awful again. I think you are forgetting about the early 90s Craig Elo years. Um, Well, I'm not forgetting about the late 90s Sean Kemp years. Oh, yes. That's their saving grace. Fat Sean Kemp years. Yep. Uh, But, yeah, their owner is horrible. Um. Like, no one can forget, like, the Comic Sans letter to the public after LeBron James left for the first time. Which was, like, <laughs> ridiculous. King of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he fired that off in a point. <laughs> yeah, so that's why they're my number five. All right, Ryan, how about you? Um, I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, oh, good pick. The Bobcats, which is... That branding was terrible. The name was terrible. I'm, I'm glad they're back to the Hornets, but wow, that was a bad stint. Um, just a couple quick stats on the Hornets. All in all, the city has seen 10 playoff appearances, uh, four season wins, and zero division championships uh, in 26 seasons. Oh, yeah, they'll never even... Have... It's bad. A cumulative 0.4 win percentage or 0.44. Um, not great. No, really not great. Um, year per playoff appearance 2.7 just all around I, I feel like Kemba Walker I mean obviously he's doing great in Boston he did well there but they never really helped him out no no um, and now and they're just what Michael Jordan's doing either it's it's tough to watch <laughs> no it's bad they've, had, they've done some very poor drafting mm-hmm. like going back to Adam Morrison and pretty much everybody since Except for Kemba. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Yes. <laughs> they had a lot of high picks, too, because they're always pretty terrible. Yeah. 
they do like they get they always get the guy where they're they have the one skill that is overshadowed by the rest of their like bad like Michael Kidd Gilchrist is a, could be a, a an elite defender but he can't shoot at all like he has one of the worst shooting percentages so they're just like okay whatever yeah well, I always feel like their bench is filled with like six to seven seven foot white guys with no talent yeah. but we're high draft picks. But it, one of them, Frank Kaminsky, is actually from down the street. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? Up right here in Lyle, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I went Bennett? to Bennett. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And he went to – did he go to Wisconsin? Yes. Okay. See, Illinois has got to keep their players in the state. He should have been at DePaul. Exactly. How hard is it to just get if – if DePaul got just the Chicagoland players, they would be awesome. They can't even do that. All right, off that soapbox. Who's your number four, BPO? Speaking of Chicago, it's my hat sake, the Chicago Bulls. Oh, so now, does your list stop at four then? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like the only reason they're not number one is because they did have uh, a period of time where they were like clearly the best team. Yeah. Which was, you know, there's six championships that that did happen, but it seems like they're trying their best to like give back all of their earned, you know, like, pr- like pride from those years mm-hmm. ever then. just trying to like erase it from history because I don't know what's been going on. Um, they had some bad luck with that. Like Jay Williams looked promising and then he had that motorcycle accident that ended yeah. but, like who knows what happens if he doesn't get hurt. But that's also like, even, even with him, it's just been bleak for so long. And they, and not only has it been bleak, like I can understand things don't fall your way. You're not a competent organization, whatever, but then usually they give somebody else a chance to run it. But Mm -hmm. the Bulls have had the same people running it badly for so long that it's, it's so frustrating to like try to pay attention to that team, which I did this year. I tried to watch every game. I tried to follow it. And I, I'm like, nothing's changing. No matter how bad the results are, they just keep letting the same people try it again. So why do I care? You know, like, I feel like the smartest thing that Garpax has done probably was drafting Jimmy Butler where they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once they traded him, shouldn't they have gotten fired? Okay. <laughs> fired a number of times. Yeah. yeah. What do they do? I mean, the, uh, Jim Boylan is a joke. I mean, it's bad. One of the worst major sports, any of the major sports coaches I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. One of the worst. One of the least respected, too. And you could, he deserves it. Like calling timeouts with like 20 seconds left when they're down like 12. <laughs> I would just leave. Like if I wasn't, yeah. like, dude, come on. We clearly are, we're clearly bad. You're going to embarrass us on top of it. Like I'd be like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not doing this. It's so bad. All right, that, that's a, a worthy number four. My number four, and it's too bad we didn't reconfigure the order because my number four is the Charlotte Hornets. So we mm. almost could have had a double dip there. But for every single reason that you said, Ryan, um, I, I don't even know if they've ever been to like the Eastern Conference Finals even. They used to be like the early to mid-90s when they had Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson. Mm. Like those were exciting teams. And then since, nothing. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Ryan, who's your number four? By the way, I'm looking here. They did. They have not made a Eastern Conference final. In oh 20- my god! Thanks for the confirmation. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to go. I didn't put these in order. I'm gonna go with the Timberwolves. Ooh, interesting. A lot of squandered talent there. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Um, 
some quick facts, eight trips to the playoffs in 26 years. Um, pretty terrible. They've been eliminated in every first round uh, until finally making a trip to the Western Conference Finals in 2004. I don't think they've done anything since. Um, maybe with Carl Anthony Towns if, a couple years ago. I can't remember now. They made the playoffs once, and it was like a play-in game into the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. Um, and a team-winning franchise percentage of 0.39. Whoa. So, that's bad. That's real that's bad. That's horrible. I should yeah. have looked at stats. I didn't. I just went with my own conception of what these teams were. I mean, I, I had opinions for everything. No, and I, I know. was like, well, let's make sure I back this up. I, I got stats, but it, I like it. Historically bad franchise. Um, poor Kevin Garnett, eight playoff appearances and like never won a series. Well, I guess 2004, he made it to the, the conference finals. But how do you not get further with that guy? And you had a, how long too? And you couldn't build around him? I have a theory on that. Well, they it, paired him with Charles Sprewell. Wally Zerbiak. Yeah. I mean, come on. Volley Zerbiak is the is the he was the problem there. Yeah, I'm gonna blame him. And I feel bad for D'Angelo Russell having to play there. I mean, he's getting tossed around left and right. I think he's a great player. He's got a good attitude. He's got ice in his veins. And yes, now he's stuck there. He's got cat. Him and Cat are best friends, though. Oh, that's right. So that's right. yeah, they can, like between yeah, but hopefully they figure it out. I don't know, but between like ruining, I mean, I'm glad Kevin Garnett got his championship going to Boston. Great. Mm-hmm. But like that, they didn't do better with him. They never did anything with Kevin Love, and maybe Kevin Love's just not really a winner. So like, I'm not sure they would have. But they ruined that, and then they're ruining currently Carl Anthony Towns, mm-hmm. who should should I think be a top ten player. He has potential to. Yeah, but no, they that's a great pick. They've been awful. Um, all right, B Pimp, who is your number three? I'm jumping on one spot late. I'm jumping on the Charlotte bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing that we all had them and somehow managed to have our order be so that they could never be a double dip. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. I did, like, but it's just, I can't say anything else about it. It's just bad. It's a bad time to be a fan of that team. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I was in Charlotte a couple of months ago and. Even though, like, a lot of people are moving to Charlotte, like, it's one of the fastest-growing cities in the U.S., it actually, it seems like a town. It's kind oh. of funny to go there and think, like, oh, they have, like, a basketball team here. <laughs> there's not, like, a skyline? Is that what you're saying? It's not, like, a skyline? Uh, they kind of have a skyline, but there's, like, basically no traffic. Oh. And, then, like, once you get outside of downtown, I feel like suddenly all the residentials are, like, development are, like, cul-de-sacs. Like, it gets very suburban feeling, like, immediately. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Um, but my number three is your hat sake, B-Pimp, the Chicago Bulls. And, yeah, they've had bad luck with Jay Williams, Derrick Rose getting injured over and over again. But you are absolutely correct that when th- that many failures happen in a row, you're supposed to kind of, like, do something about it, clean house. And they still haven't done that. I don't even know what the current state of the Bulls management is. They've like somehow made it like sort of difficult to understand like what is happening. It's almost like a Ponzi scheme or like a shell game. <laughs> yeah. Paxson's supposed to be the public face of the front office. Gar Foreman is still involved somehow in the decision making. 
and Doug Collins is heavily involved. Yeah. And seems to be like in a lot of Jim Boylan's meetings and like undercutting him in front of the team. So it's like the worst run. I mean, it's like a comically bad idea of how to run a team. You know, like just have I don't know. I don't know. That's what seems to be what they're doing now. And now they're talking about just hiring another person to throw into that mix. No. Yeah. They I don't even know at this point what they should do, but they should fire all four of those people. They should everybody because I know Jerry Reinsdorf owns the team and and his son is involved a lot in the day-to-day. Like I don't have any fantasy that they're gonna magically decide to sell it. So my opinion is everybody from Michael Reinsdorf down should be fired. <laughs> and yeah. they should completely start over. And like what how can it be worse? It can't be worse. From a like player personnel sense. Yes. How do you if they kind of ran back this team, how do you feel about them? I think there's talent on the team. I think they openly have no confidence in the coaching or the decision making mm-hmm. and doing their best. They're actually doing an admirable job because I could see a way I could see an alternate version of the season where they openly talk trash about Boylan in the media. Mm-hmm. And like I actually give them credit for not doing that. Because you can see when he does certain things during the game, like even Ryan Ar- Archidiacono should be like ecstatic that he's on an NBA team is openly <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like that bad. that's how bad it is. That's, a, like, that's a funny description of that guy. He should be ecstatic that he's on an NBA. Never chance. He's like an undersized point guard from Villanova who is like not even a star there, and he's, yeah. he's playing big minutes for the Bulls, and he's actually good. And I like him. I'm not trying to like diss Ryan or Archie Diakono. I like, like him too. He he he's a guy who should be like the rank and file, do what the coach says. But he's like rolling his eyes at the guy because he's such a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so bad. No, uh, I, I I totally. I mean, obviously, that's why they were my number three. Yeah. Um, Ryan, who is your number three? Uh, this is strictly based on opinion. I couldn't find any facts, like statistics, <laughs> okay. facts let's... to back this up. But I don't like the Thunder. Okay. I'll just come out and Whoa. say it. Oh, I yeah. it's okay to not like the Thunder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't like their branding. I think their jerseys are lame. I think <laughs> their sponsorship loves the I, – I think that's lame. The gas station? Yeah, that's super. Yeah, the gas station, it's so unintimidating. The baby blues and the loves. I just think, how do you take this, the Seattle Supersonics, just a cool brand, a cool look, a cool team, a cool place, and turn it into a Midwest basketball team sponsored by a gas station? <laughs> you know, granted, they, they do have a higher winning percentage. Um, they've done well. I mean, Russell Westbrook obviously had a great tenure there. They don't suck. I just don't like what they've done from from where the Supersonics were. Yeah, I mean, I'll have more to say on them later, but... I figured they were higher on your list. <laughs> but they, yeah, I, I, I like your comment because I forget about this. Their jerseys are terrible. Like their logo, I'm surprised they haven't really changed it in the whole time that they've existed because it looked like like just some clip art that somebody put together in like two seconds when they announced that they were moving to Oklahoma city. Like, okay, we're the thunder. Yeah. And then they're done. And of all places, Oklahoma city. Yeah. Just okay. Because you have city in your name. Doesn't mean you are one. Right. They you got, do, you got Kansas city, Tennessee. I mean, so many other places you could have gone. Yeah. They do Steven, Steven Adams. That's I like Steven Adams. I like yeah. Steven Adams. Yeah. He looks like Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah, he kind of does a little bit. Um, all right, who's your number two, B-Pim? 
Oh, yes. I'm supposed to be ready with my number two worst organization, which is somewhere geographically close to you, the Sacramento Kings. Oh, interesting pick. A team that almost moved to Seattle. Did they? When did that happen? Um, maybe like 2010 or 2012. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But it so happened that Kevin Johnson, former NBA player, was the mayor of Sacramento and got them to stay. Uh, they had to build an arena, basically, which I yeah. heard is nice. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I know that there are definitely – I mean, they've had periods of being very successful. And not only that, but, like, teams I liked, like the um, late 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 – what was it, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, like Chris <laughs> Weber, LaFlati. Pagea, all those guys. Um, Bobby Jackson, mm-hmm. who, uh, underrated um, now, but th- it just overall, it seems to be another one of those teams that any momentum they get, it's quickly like gone, and they seem to also do questionable things with like high lottery picks. So like those teams, like here's the one of my all time favorite stories that I hope is true is that Luka Doncic was not drafted by the Kings because Vladi knows his dad and doesn't like him. <laughs> And that is never heard that. That is one of the things I I saw like a legit looking report that that was why he he, everybody else in their decision making structure was like that's the guy and he said no I know his dad he's not a winner it's like some kind of like just judgment of his dad as the reason that they didn't draft him and I was like okay well that encapsulates why this team is not good (laughs) yeah I one hundred percent believe that story I don't understand why he's their GM no it seems he doesn't he also like doesn't. I mean, he should have hired somebody else for this, but, like, he doesn't understand, like, basically how the salary cap works at all. Right. Like, he did some – I can't remember what it was. I think he either dropped somebody or traded somebody because he thought he had to, and he absolutely did not. <laughs> and nobody was like, hey, uh, you can keep him. <laughs> yeah. You guys think De'Aaron Fox would be better elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I think he'd be awesome. Yeah. He might sure. have a career squandered if he has to stay there. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think they need to get rid of the restricted free agency after the rookie contract. Like, that's absurd. It's essentially, a player could be stuck in a place for the first seven years of their career. Oh, yeah. I agree in, like, every sport, pretty much. that they Like, baseball is ridiculous. Some guys are, like, 32 when they first get a chance to, like, yeah. have free agency. What? That's, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and if you have seven, seven seasons with the Sacramento Kings, that means you played for 12 different head coaches. <laughs> they're like they i don't even know currently who their head coach is i don't know cycled so many times oh it's yeah it's um oh, they're just fired luke walton is it really well that's not gonna last yeah yeah luke walton's there and, and that was because luke walton was hired by vladi and then somebody accused him of sexual assault and they almost had to like not keep him <laughs> and then they said oh guess what that one was one of the ones that isn't true he can be yeah. the coach God. It's been a whirlwind for Sacramento Kings fans recently. Yeah, they were – I was very close to putting them on my list. Kind of surprised I didn't at this point, but it's tough. There's some good, uh, bad organizations out there. Mm-hmm. All right, my number two is the New York Knicks. Yep. I mean, I mean it's not like I feel bad for it. New Yorkers, but they – just like their owner is a joke. I love that he loves to play the kazoo. Like, can you think of a lamer fucking instrument than that? But they... Wait, is this true? Yeah. 
James Dolan he, loves the ca- kazoo. He loves the kazoo, and he tried to organize. He might have actually successfully done this. The world's largest, like, simultaneous kazoo playing. I think maybe it was something at a Knicks game that, like, everybody got a kazoo under their seat, and they all – I don't know. I believe this is true. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. Yeah. So, yeah, he doesn't – like, he, clearly he has opinions as an owner and is, like, an atrocious owner. They they can't even, like, keep their their high-profile fans happy, like Spike Lee. And they have been – I mean, if you can say, like, Carmelo Anthony was the bright spot of your last 15 years, that's not good. What is James Dolan – do you know how he has all this money? He's one of these, like, billionaires who just inherited a bunch of money or something? He inherited it, yeah. I don't know what he's done with it since. But I think it was his, his dad. So that it's just a guy who probably won't sell the team unless he has a public fiasco or is forced to. It would have to be, I think, like forced to Sterling style. And I'm not sure he's as slimy as that guy was. Yeah. Yeah, they're in – it's rough there. They even had like Fizdale, and then they're trying to spin it like, oh, Fizdale's going to get a lot of – because he's a player's coach. and People are going to want to come play for him. And then they like fired the front office guys and him. Or did the front office guys fire him as a last-ditch effort to keep Something up? like that. They just – their personnel never makes sense. Like, starting from, like, when Isaiah Thomas was the GM and they got both, like, Eddie Curry and Jerome James and, like, whoever else. They're like, we're just going to get all the centers. This year, they were a team full of power forwards. Yeah. Like, not very good. They got Bobby Portis and, like, <laughs> they just got a bunch of free agent power forwards on, like, one-year deals. Yeah. So, I, no, I don't know what they're doing at all. And they always, uh, my favorite is just like, they're always under the impression that definitely they're going to get some of these free agents and they just strike out again and again. So they're like the bulls in that sense. A little bit. Yeah. Sadly. All right, Ryan, who's your number two? I got the Cleveland Cavaliers. Is my um, kind of, you know, what you were saying earlier, without LeBron, that team is bad. Um. 50 years they've been a team now. They were an expansion team in 1970. So one championship in 50 years. And how long was LeBron there? And I, I think back to the series, um, I, I believe it went to seven games with the Warriors a few years back. Mm-hmm. The year that J.R. Smith completely forgot that he was playing basketball for a couple of <laughs> minutes. <laughs> that was painful to watch. That was awful. It was really, really bad. Um, I feel bad for their fans. I really do because one championship in 50 years is, is tough to swallow. I'm glad they got that one. Thank you. And it was really they won that championship in part because Draymond Green decided to like punch LeBron James in the nuts one game. <laughs> and got suspended. <laughs> like that was like, like, it's a good thing he like didn't have his head on straight. Otherwise, they, they would have just, like, continually lost the Warriors in the finals. Yeah, uh, that was a tough stretch because they made, with LeBron on the Cavaliers, his second time with the Cavaliers, they made the finals three times, right? All four times. Four times. They only won one of them. Yeah. And you had Kyrie and Kevin Love for pretty much every single one of those series, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah for all of them except – the last year they didn't have Kyrie anymore. Yeah, because he was he was injured, right? Uh, he... I think that's the year he went to the Celtics. Okay, and maybe he was also injured. 
and LeBron's first tenure with the Cavaliers, I don't think they ever made the finals, did they? He, I he thought they did. They, well, did they did one time, like, early in his career, and they got, like, smoked by the Spurs or something. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yes, I do remember that. But, yeah, and then as soon as he leaves, those four years that he's in Miami, they're, like, so awful. Yeah. Anderson Which, Vergeau year. Oh, yeah. like, I mean, Does that say something about Kyrie? I don't think Kyrie's a winner. I don't think he got so the either. the coach. Kenny Atkinson is talking already about how he left partially of his own volition because he knew he had no interest in coaching Kyrie or Kevin Durant next year. Like that's pretty damning. Like a guy left an up and coming NBA team in Brooklyn that could be like the hottest team next year because he's like, I don't want to coach these guys. Like that doesn't that doesn't bode well. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't. I, I Kevin Durant is like supremely talented, but. I don't think that team is going anywhere. I mean, you look at what Kyrie did with Boston last year in the, the drama, oh, the yeah. whole season of drama, and now what they've done with Kemba and the team chemistry, like, that is pretty damning. Mm-hmm. There's something off. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. All right, we are <laughs> down to it. Uh, B-Pimp, who's your number one? The aforementioned New York Knicks. <laughs> All right. I think they're – I mean, you can make an argument that the Bulls have been worse since, like – I mean, if you make a cutoff, if you say the NBA started in, like, 1999 or whatever, um, the Knicks made the finals that year, I believe, in the lockout short year, and they had a couple good years. I, you could make an argument the Bulls are worse than them since then. But as far as, like, consistently making puzzling choices – like clear lack of leadership, clear lack of a team identity, clear lack of vision, the opposite of like the early nineties when they had Pat Riley. And it was like, their whole thing was we're the tough team. That's going to like bully the bulls, but they failed at it. But at least they had like an identity. Yeah. Not, it's just Ewing and Mason and Oakley just like to kick the shit out of you. Yeah. At least they had, and John Starks, like at least they had something, mm-hmm. but now it just seems to be, I mean, it's bad. Like even RJ Barrett, who, looks promising, looks like an interesting player, like them getting him. But that could be something good. But then they do the things like you mentioned, getting all the power forwards that were available for some reason, like they're going to run out. Just, it just doesn't make any sense. Like nobody knows, seems to know what they're doing there. And they're playing in the best, you know, one of the best arenas in the world, like an iconic place. It should be like a no brainer. Like this is a great team for the league, like a marquee franchise. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. They make, very baffling decisions. I forgot that, like, like does Dennis Smith Jr. even play anymore? Is he good? He isn't even on the t- – is he still on the team? I don't even know. But, like, trading for Zingas for him. Like they- right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, oh he up. is on the – you're right. He is on the team. And I think Fisdale wasn't playing him. And then the new coach took over, who's also named Mike Malone, I think. <laughs> no, Mike Miller. Oh, and I okay. think it was the old player, Mike Miller, and I got really excited because I was like, I want to see Mike Miller coach an NBA team. Because he was like, he, he was like a pothead, though. Wasn't he he <laughs> seemed like a pothead, yeah. He was like the only NBA player pothead, not only, but the most obvious looking pothead in the NBA. But um, I, I remember like, hearing Mike Miller, the player, talk, and he has the most country voice you could ever imagine. Really? Yeah. I thought it would be slang, kind of. It's I don't know where he's from, but it sounds like he is from nowhere, West Virginia, (laughs) or Kentucky, or something. 
He's yeah. I was hoping it was him, but it wasn't. It's another guy named Mike Miller, and then he played Dennis Smith Jr. But then it just like quickly became evident that he's bad again. Like the new coach doesn't make him magically a good player, so I don't. I don't think he plays anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He's on the team, but we haven't seen him. No. What's going on there? All right, my number one, probably not surprisingly, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Logo reasons, jersey reasons, of course. Because they moved from Seattle, it's hard to not put them on the list. But also, think about the fact that they've had James Harden has won the MVP. Kevin Durant has won the MVP. Russell Westbrook has won the MVP. And Serge Ibaka, they had all four of those players together. They've never won a championship. How is that po- They've only been to the finals once. Who did they lose to that year? Uh, Miami Heat. That's right. Wow. That's like stunning the amount of talent that they've, I don't want to say lucked into. I mean, I think they've done a good job drafting too, but like that they couldn't make more out of that team is incredible. They also seem, I mean, like, I don't know much. I haven't heard a lot of like overtly negative stuff about Billy Donovan, but doesn't it seem like he was like a long time college coach Mm -hmm. that looks like he's from that mold of like Rick Pitino where they just have like slick back hair and like, it's like that guy, like that coach guy. And is he a competent, like, what, is, what have they been doing? Like, is he, why is he still the coach? Isn't it like year four? I think he's benefited from, people forget how good Chris Paul is. And they, they've been good this year, like better than expected. Yeah. That's saved his job. Yeah, that's true. I kind of doubt that's on him though. All right, Ryan, who is your number one? Uh, again, this is based strictly on opinion. Uh, Chicago Bulls. Got to go Chicago yes. Bulls. There you go. Number one. Yeah, I mean, historically, yeah, they're a great franchise. But of the last, what, 10, 15 years, arguably even 20 years, it has been hard to watch. This year especially, the fact that Colby White didn't start until a couple weeks ago is – it's mind-boggling. I mean, what what they're doing, there's like you said, there's no identity. There's a lot of talent there, but they can't seem to put it together. Jim Boylan is a big dummy. I just, <laughs> that is the only way to describe it. <laughs> and you know what? Fun, fun story. I actually met him last year in May. I was at this bar in Chicago, and he sat down with it looked like a Bulls executive. And I'm like, Jim? And he's like, yeah, I'm Jim. I walked over, and I started talking to him. And I don't even remember what part of the conversation was. I just remember in my head, I'm like, I don't like you. And <laughs> don't fuck this year up. And he did anyway. And I got back to the table and I'm like, was that your uncle or something? Why were you I'm like, no, it was Jim Boyle, the head coach of the Bulls. The reason why no one knows him is because he's a big dummy. <laughs> yeah, actually, if Jim Boyle was at a bar, I would not pick him out. I just, I've seen too much of his dumb face on in interviews and it's i i don't even know where to start man it's hard to talk about it really is hard to talk about. but he would be able to pick him out because he'd be clapping <laughs> yeah. that's all he does again the timeouts with like 20 seconds left in the third and you're down 20 what the fuck is it point mm-hmm. why in no respect zach levine just a couple weeks ago you know looking at the scoreboard like dude i have 40 fucking points you really want to start some shit right now and then he drills <laughs> one from the logo like <laughs> They also, he did another thing Jim Boylan does that I find hilarious is he's 
he's got to be the least – he has no concept of, like, reading the room or tone mm-hmm. because what he does is they're playing awful. Like, it's just an awful stretch of basketball. Six minutes in a row, they're, like – they were tied, and now they're down 20. And then he calls a timeout and walks out doing that enthusiastic clapping. This is not, like, a room full of people that it's their first job and you could like, motivate them. Right. These are dudes that make so much more money than you, and they know what's happening. They know they're not good as a team. And they don't need you coming out, like, doing this, like, rah-rah act that I don't understand, like, how he coached with Popovich and didn't pick up anything. Seriously. That's the most incredible part about it. How did he even get hired is the, is the crazy part to me. He must know him. They must be friends or something. I mean, they've gone through how many head coaches in the last four or five years? At least four, right? Five? Well, yeah. So well, no, they had Hoiberg for a while. Did, but and, and, again, did they really give him an honest chance? No, because – the offense that he runs, they had no players to fit in. And then they right. just had, then year after year, he's probably like, okay, I guess next offseason they'll get me some players. And then yeah. they wouldn't. I never had any confidence in the coaching hire that they've made out of no. the last like five that they've done. No, not at all. Thibodeau was the, the best coach we've had in the last decade. Well, and even then, Bill Cartwright. Mm-hmm. Longer ago. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might have been 10 years. I'm, I'm thinking my. F- favorite series is is that one where they went seven games with the Celtics back in the day. That was 2008. Oh, yeah, Nate Robinson series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so much fun to watch. And ever since then, it's been a giant disappointment. Yeah, they came close a couple years. I mean, the Cavaliers cucked us a lot when it was, you know, Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah and, you know, uh, Lou Aldang. We had a solid squad, but they just couldn't finish it. And – uh there was a glimmer of hope for a little bit, and the whole Derrick Rose thing really makes me sad. Yeah. LeBron James did, like, stop that team a lot. I went to – I think it was game five of the Eastern Conference Finals. I forget what year it was. Maybe, like, 2011 or something like that, 2010 or 11. And they lost to the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals in five. And it looked like they had that game, too. Yeah. And then it- we walked all the way back because we couldn't get a cab or uh, – there's like no direct transit. We couldn't get, uh, we walked all the way from the United Center back to our apartment in Pilsen. Oh my God. Just like, I mean, it wasn't like that far, but it was just like two or two and a half miles just straight down Damon. Like mm-hmm. you go underneath the 290, which right, or no, it's not the 290. It's the, uh, there's a bunch of railroad tracks just south of 290. And it's like a stretch where it's like half a mile wide or, and you just are walking underneath it the whole time. So it's just a long walk home. Did you follow those those years when Nate Robinson was like doing weird things in the playoffs for the Bulls? Did you watch those? Because I know Nate Robinson's from Seattle, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's from Seattle and he went to UW. Yeah, um, I kind of forgotten a lot of that. I'm gonna have to revisit it. If you watch, there's a compilation video on YouTube of the, one of those series where he just he was like Michael Jordan in his prime. Like he, he was over. making everything. He was doing all these like crazy floaters. They could not stop him. He was doing like weird like running threes. It's just huh. weird. Yeah, these crazy acrobatic shots that would some right. I mean, he would shoot over like 6 foot 5 yeah. guards. I don't know what was happening. It was awesome. I got to find that compilation video cuz I, I that is like not in my memory for some reason. You got to watch it. Silver lining of the Bulls though, and I'll I'll close with this. Zach Levine is better than we thought he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kobe White looks looks awesome. I and told you Kobe was going to be good, Brian. Yeah, he did. He's awesome. And they're talking about switching up the front office. 
So I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope that, you know, a year or two from now, we get a competent coach and we grow with Kobe White and Zach Levine. And I like Carter, Wendell Carter Jr. I like him too. Yeah. As long as, as long as these guys stay healthy, that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. You know, Laurie Markkinen's great too, but uh, he's out, he's out too much. Man. I don't know what's going on with him. He had a Something's great wrong. rookie season. His rookie's yeah. fun. No, I know. And he has talent that I've seen him, I've seen him play in a way where I'm like, yes, this guy could be good, but then it hasn't been there in a while. Well, we don't have the guys developing him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys got any honorable mentions? I had the Phoenix. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had Phoenix in my honorable mentions too. And the Kings, Wizards, Nets, and Pistons. I don't know what the Pistons are doing lately. Yeah, the Pistons are – they had a long stretch of time where they just trusted Stan Van Gundy to do everything. Mm-hmm. Which seems – I don't really want to, like, throw him under the bus as, like, the worst or anything. He's not that bad. But it's just, like, is Stan Van Gundy the guy that you want making all of your decisions? Probably not. Nope. Doesn't seem like it. The no. Wizards – oh, I should have – the Wizards should have been on my list. I mean, what are they doing? I, I like the Wizards. I don't know what it is. I have a soft spot for them. Yeah. Bradley Bill's a good player. Yeah, he is. I feel bad for him, though, in the situation he's currently in. I have no idea who else is on that team, period, except for Hachimura. Oh, I could more, – more, Mo Wagner yeah. is on the team. Thomas Bryant. They had a good – Oh, yeah, all the stars. All the stars. Um, that's it. I can name two more players. <laughs> yeah. The Suns were on my honorable mention, and uh, so were the Kings. And now that I think about it, might as well throw the Pistons on there, too. I think it's there's a common theme in these lists. It's um, owners who think they're smarter than they are and yes. that yes. causes major problems. All right, folks, if we forgot any worst organizations in the NBA, do let us know. You can hit us up on our Twitter feed that's at Whiskey Sessions or let us know on our email, whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com and we'll read it on a future episode. But we got to get to your emails now. So... Without further ado, these are your emails. You sent us emails to read. Emails! And now we'll read them. All right, I've got an email that says, Dear Whiskey Sessions, it's great to see that you finally had on a drummer to talk about the best drummers. Sounds like this email is coming in live. Uh, (laughs) What do you think about actually having someone who knows what they're talking about to do all your top fives? This is from Kevo in Lawrence, Massachusetts. (laughs) <laughs> this, this guy just sounds like a mass hole to me i can't i have to recover from that it was that hit me yeah so uh, lawrence massachusetts was on there <laughs> i don't i don't think anything did you know there are places in massachusetts that aren't boston apparently <laughs> this is news to me yeah like who cares uh all right uh beep uh you got another one i do have an email um this is it reads, Dear Whiskey Sessions, I appreciated the list you gave us comparing the Midwest to the Bay Area, but there was one glaring omission. There's no Bay in the Midwest. Mm. Well, that's an astute, astute observation. You I, know, uh, I, sometimes you, when you're right, you're right. So this, this is an anonymous email. This person is correct. Hmm. I can't, what am I supposed to say to that? Like, I yeah, know. I'm, I'm not Bay. I think like, you're someone's Bay, though, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Hey, nice. Nailed it. That's why I don't. <laughs> Almost sounds like a pre-rehearsed sketch. But no, <laughs> right off the dome. Taking yeah. it on the road. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you have an email for us, uh, again, hit us up on whiskey sessions music at gmail.com. We'll reach, read it 
on a future episode, but we are wrapping up this episode. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us, uh, telling us about drummers, and of course, so we could go over how bad the Bulls are. Thanks for having me, guys. I uh, hope to be back again. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, let's let's do it again. It was great. Can't do it again really soon. All right, until next time, this is A. Metz saying peace out. And beat him. Bye-bye. And Ryan Burkett, see you later.